Hey friends, this is Andy Jenkins with the Tribe Talk Podcast. I'm here and this is funny. I'm actually in Rock Hop's office, but Rock has left the building. He's actually left the city. They have driven up to a, you've heard about this before, Restoring the Foundations is this, uh, it's this great ministry that focuses on inner healing and they do some of the credentialing for several of the people that are here that actually help in the issue-focused prayer ministry segment of Transformation Ministries. We do three things here. Number one, individual and family counseling, particularly for people in crisis. Now, I've got somebody here today that's going to talk to you a little bit about that, more probably, hopefully, about themselves. Number two, we have the Transformation School of Ministry. Number three, issue-focused prayer ministry. That's where some of the staff is this week and so rock's not here we we needed a quiet place to record so we thought let's just take the head honcho let's just take uh papa rock the founder and ceo's office so that's why we're here i am in the room this is great with dr jeff dulce um jeff let everybody hear your voice (laughs) hey there everybody (laughs) okay so doctor you he's probably gonna like Scrub that real quick. Everybody knows him mainly by, by as Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. Now, here's how I know that. This is funny. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. And then I know he can't tell you the story because of HIPAA and all that. I can tell you the story. I met this gentleman. It, it's been four or five years ago. I actually sat. We flipped the script here, flipped the mic. Because I was sitting in the chair at his office. I actually, I've written about this. I sat down in front of this guy for a psyche vow. I, I had gone through a really difficult season in life, and a counselor I was meeting with, Christian counselor, referred me to him. I went and sat, and uh, he didn't find anything that would grant me a diagnosis. Well, we may get to that type of thing as we talk about overall health. But the way I've told the story is he really took what I told him, repackaged it, spit it back out to me and said, you probably struggle with this, this, and this, and said it in one of the most redemptive, uh, encouraging ways that I've heard. In fact, I was meeting with Rock at the Outback Steakhouse just about six months ago. We're kind of talking about starting up this podcast and some other things. And he said, we've got this great guy that's about to start heading the counseling ministry here. And when he said the name, Jeff Dulce, I told him, I said, "I, I know him. I said, he's not a tall guy. You know, and I started describing you physically. I said, he, he, he has a Presbyterian background, yet filled with the Spirit, and is this tender, kind, simultaneously brilliant guy. And it's all just kind of fits it. In fact, the way I described it was this. I said, he brings this element of biblical Christian counseling, yet it's, it's like David in the Old Testament, the Psalms say David led with skill and with the power of the Holy Spirit. And those two things aren't at odds. So often we think they are. But here, like I've got, I mean, I've been telling everybody all day, like I'm going to go interview the psychoanalyzer or the psychotherapist. I mean, but you, you like you bring all that together with the credentialing and the high level experience. But also, like I've heard you pray. And when you've heard someone pray, you really kind of tap into what is their heart, what is their faith life really like. And so that's a much longer intro than we do, but I'm so honored to be here on the other side of the interview. Well, you're, so. really, you're really blessing me with that. But, but uh, the thing I would correct in that um, is that those things 
those are really the way God has shaped my life and molded me. It's it's not so much the things that I've done; it's the things that He is He's taken me through and instilled in me and refined in me. Yeah, that uh, that work like that. It's uh, I wish I could take credit. For, well, no, I don't wish I take credit for it. It's it's His glory, and and um, and it's it's pretty remarkable the the things that he's done in my life it's i i, I could go on you may have to do four podcasts to, to get everything we got as much time as we need like it's not rocks out of town <laughs> well it, I, I see what so, you're saying simultaneously it's, it's like paul you know paul says okay i worked harder than all the other apostles well it wasn't me it was the lord well, but it was me. But it was the Lord working in me. Like that's. Yeah. I mean, you you showed up for the classes. You showed up and did the time, but yet the Lord's weaving this story, still weaving this story. Right. Um, God God orders our steps. Right. And and I mean, as as I think as I was thinking about my life, you know, this is a little bit different. I've told different parts of my testimony and my life story to different people at different times, and uh, different people know kind of different things but i've never just put it out there to the general public you don't even know who you're talking to <laughs> i don't even know who i'm talking I, I, I mean to. i do so, know we'll get emails where so, people are like oh i had no idea like that was so great like i yeah. loved hearing you know lauren or rock or whoever we've interviewed that you know they'll yeah. people email go i had no idea yeah but so let's tell them take us back like where would so when i sat when we had the script flipped and right. i sat you know in your office you know you just said, hey, man, just take me back and tell me, you know, you took me some specific questions about some things that formed me and shaped me. Take me wherever you want to go. What are some of the things that shaped you to bring you, whether it's professionally or whether it's your faith journey? Because I know you've taken all kinds of turns there. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I've been thinking about it since you asked me to, to do the cast, and I don't really know where, where to begin with that. In terms of things, and from a from a professional perspective, <laughs> I didn't start out to be a psychologist. What were you going to be? <laughs> and so, uh, actually, I wasn't even going to go to college, and <laughs> I, I, I kind of went through a, a really pretty rebellious teens and early twenties phase, and and uh, I wasn't heading toward college. I'd been doing construction and did highway construction and worked in a steel fabricating plant and. Uh, residential construction, roofing, and all sorts of things, and had no intention of going to college. And um, more or less, it, it was uh, at, at my dad's encouragement that go for one year. If you don't like it, I'll leave you alone kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went and found out that uh, college was very different than than anything I'd experienced in school and really fell in love with learning for the first time. Yeah. And so it... it you just kept running. Yeah, and so it was. It was very different from um, um, the very poor academic person I was in my uh, in my teens, and so I got into college, and I was actually going to be a marine biologist, is what I wanted to do, and the problem with that was it was. It, I'm old, so it, it was back when marine biology was just first coming along, and I looked around, and there's like 20 people. Employed in the field, where you go work then? And, sea and, World, and, and they were all kind of they were all like in their twenties, and so there was, no one was going to retire, and there were no openings. You can't so, break in. So, so um, it, it was. I just was taking classes. I I liked biology, but didn't want to be a physician, 
and I like philosophy, but you really couldn't make a living at that. I had a college professor that I liked, <laughs> that I talked to as a philosophy professor. He was a PhD, tenured faculty, and he had to moonlight at a, uto uh, a convenience store to make ends meet. So, oh, wow. So that, that's kind of like, okay. So psychology sat right in between philosophy and biology. And so, so okay. Wait, are you, okay, you're saying psychology fits between philosophy and biology? In my mind at the time. Okay, it's, I was like, like, it's, it's, it's sort of like it's, it, there's, there's an overlap of some of those things. And, and no, I, I could like, kind of see that. I never yeah. would have thought about that, and but so I could kind of see that. I started taking classes in, in psychology, and then by the time I almost got my degree, I realized you couldn't make a living without, a grad, without some sort of postgraduate degree, and, and it just one thing led to another with that. And so it, was, um, it, it wasn't a very, you know, sometimes you meet people that know what they want to do. And so there's been a shaping of, of my life in so many ways that um, I, when I stop and look back at it, I say, oh, God, God moved me here or did this there yeah. and whatever. And so um, so anyway. I, I so how much school was that? Because you, your dad uh, talks you into one year of, of college. Right. You go to college. So you go to graduate. You're, college, you're a doctor. There's college and then uh Four years of graduate school, a uh, year of internship, and then a year of postdoc. So th this is like a ten-year run from your dad's <laughs> from your dad's year. Yeah, just go try the year. Right. right. Okay. So, um, but anyway, so that, I was doing that. I got out, and uh, from a career path perspective, uh, worked in the Department of Medicine for five or six years on faculty in the Department of Medicine, doing clinical work, doing clinical research. And training postdocs and residents, and um, but uh, really didn't like that because my, my nature, my nature is really working with people, have a heart for people, and I, I really, even though it it was, um, it, it it's pretty enticing to do the research because there's just a a lot of things that go into it that are intellectually in, interesting, as well as a lot of of that sort of narcissistic ego building stuff and so you, you kind of get caught up in it but it wasn't satisfying because I wasn't doing I got further and further away from doing uh, what I really love which is working with people and so I left and went into private practice and um, and felt like I was ready to tear up the world right and and, and think about uh, this the journey is is all the things you learned you can only get people so far uh, in terms of improving and, and, and the improvements that they want. And it's because, uh, you know, psychology, there's a lot of good psychology and a lot of bad psychology, but the only good psychology is consistent with scripture. And there's a bunch of stuff out there that doesn't, doesn't help people very much. And even the good stuff doesn't help a lot without a spiritual component. And early on um, in my career, I did a lot of work with uh, terminal illness at, at the cancer center. Uh, I ran a process group with for HIV patients uh, back in the late 80s and uh, through the 90s. Uh, and we were having 10, 12 people a month die. That was back when you got a diagnosis of HIV or AIDS. It really, you weren't expected to be there in six months. And, right. And so... And all that really forced me to grapple with the spiritual component more than than I had. Would you say you were a Christian back then? Yeah, I was a Christian. So that, that's that's another uh, 
parallel line of it. I, I grew up in a Christian family, uh, Presbyterian uh, by, from birth. Uh, went through. Oh, so you were probably baptized when you were an infant, I uh, guess. Infant, infant baptized. Went through confirmation in the Presbyterian Church at twelve or thirteen, whatever age that is. That you you do the formal confirmation and profession of faith, and uh, then during my teens and twenties, got really uh, rebellious and wayward, and, and pretty much <laughs> uh, not existent in the church um, in terms in, in terms of uh, those folks that understand the teachings here. It's that it was that control rebellion uh, rejection cycle, right, all the way through my teens and my early twenties, and um, and so I got I got pulled back into it, you know, and started in college, um, you know, started going to church more. I'd, I'd gotten married, um, we'd had children, and so, but I was more or less what I call a good enough Christian. I'd go to church on Sunday. I daydream about something else. I wasn't out raping, robbing, or pillaging, and so I was good enough. And You're just kind of doing—I mean, doing your time. Yeah, for check, black, check, but checking like the box. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's part box. of a moral right. standard, or <clears throat> like I said, being a good person. But it, but it was there at about thirty, early thirties. I was really forced to start to grapple with with, with these issues. Uh, when somebody's in the process of dying and, and talking with you, there there's so much there that you, you just cannot you cannot do in in sort of the practical. They're not asking questions at that point about work or about no. getting along with no. the neighbors. Like they, they're these are these are the really big questions. Right. And so and and those are the kind of questions. But my. My background in sort of specialty training has been in medical psychology, so I've worked in and out of rehab centers with stroke and spinal cord injured patients and MS patients and amputees and, and terminal illnesses and those things. So, I mean, that's what I've done the bulk of. Uh, I've always done some of that, even, even when I've had a private practice. But it really, it, it really honed and, and drove me to search, and, and that's where where my path started getting, um, started growing. And it was strange because, you know, when I look at my life, I, I kind of I put it in the parable of the prodigal son because in those early years, my teens and early 20s, I was very much the prodigal. I mean, was, You're the one that left the estate I, I, in I, the early I, years. Yeah, I, I, and I can talk about all those dynamics and the things that go into that. But, but I mean, there was, there was, this was in the early 70s, and there's a lot of a lot of drugs, a lot of uh, a lot of rebellion, a lot of things that were going on. And so when I, I there was a point in college where the, the it switched, and in my head, I, it's very much shame based at the time. And so I was going to prove that I was worth something, right? And it flipped in, into that shame, control, fear, and control stronghold and uh, striving and performance mentality. Uh, started making instead of borderline failing good grades and doing well and being very much driven. Yeah. And that took me through a long period of sort of being the, the older son. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like now yeah, you shifted, you're the guy working I was, in the field. Yeah, I was the older son. Don't prove your worth. Um, and most people that I know now would not, uh, they wouldn't have liked me back in those days because, you know, being, it was very narcissistic, very headstrong, very opinionated. Um, very, very competitive, um, 
and, and it's all out of that striving and and, and that shame based model. And so that went on. I joked at different times that I spent 40 years building and he gone, it's going to take me 40 years to tear it down and learn humility. And so that, that sort of went on until about 10 years ago. And I, I, I functioned, I was in the church. I got very grounded in it. I was an elder in the Presbyterian church for 15, 16 years. Um, but it was it had a, a heavy uh, intellectual basis of, of the books and confessions and and theology, and so I learned a lot about God, but I never really had the personal relationship. And so about ten years ago, I, I le had left the church I was in, went to another church, and started that was spirit led, and started so out of the Presbyterian church, out of the Presbyterian into church, a, okay, right. And so then introduced to the Holy Spirit. And uh, it was really pretty remarkable. Um, I went to the Church of the Highlands. I went through freedom, and that stripped a lot of stuff off of me. Um, during the Freedom Conference, uh, first Friday night at 3 in the evening, God woke me up in the bed and sat me straight up in the bed, and I heard, I heard audibly, be baptized. So, you heard God's voice. There's a few people here who've heard that. I never have. That's the only time but, I've heard but it. But you heard audible it. Audible like yeah. that. But it, I sat up in the bed out of a sound sleep, awake, and be baptized. And so Saturday, the, that, was, that was Friday night. Saturday after the conference, I went and got baptized. And I, I was serving, I still serve on the prayer team there at Highlands. And the next Sunday morning in uh, the prayer room, I got baptized with fire with the, the, the spirit and so so I had the third baptism that morning so it was really powerful and so and TM has kept growing me through through this process in terms of not just knowing about God and, and God always God it's not as if he wasn't present and working because in therapy over the years I pray with people I would do things uh, with them in office uh, that weren't considered traditional therapy such such as prayer and working yeah. through issues like that and um, reviewing scripture searching scripture for answers and and those sorts of things um, and you'd, I'd see them work because it, there'd be somebody that'd be suicidal or something going on and there was not anything I could do and I'd pray and something would happen and, and it would it would it would resolve the issue or I'd be in a session and I'd be talking to somebody and words would come out of my mouth that I didn't preform as a thought, but they it all of a sudden somebody go that that's just what I needed, and and so the, there's places where I know this the Holy Spirit's work through what I do, but I wasn't really connected the way I have been for the last eight or nine years in terms of knowing the Spirit, and so it's it's been very very different. So I kind of went from the prodigal to that for more decades than I care to admit. As the as the eldest son, and now I'm I'm kind of living in the father, in so, the house with the father. Yeah. yeah, in the house with the father, and so it's it's been a remarkable journey. So how, how does that change really? I, I want to talk to you. You know, we may not have time right now. We may have to come back and talk yeah. about it more later, or talk about it more later in sure. more detail. But how does all of that change how you do counseling, or how you do because you're you're coming at this as a as a professional, you got all these professional credentials, but also 
as a as a man of faith. Mm-hmm. And those are all like it's it's not one or the other. It's not even you know in my mind a um, part this part that. It's just it, it's kind of you know hundred percent professional, hundred percent spirit. It's it's all it's all all well, things at all times. The, the the majority of the work over the years in, in terms of counseling or therapy in uh, works in in the, predominantly in the area of ungodly beliefs. Uh, if you if you look for a, a, a biblical verse of, of how therapy would proceed for me, it's Second Corinthians uh, ten four and five. Okay, that we have divine weapons. To tear down strongholds, and we take and discipline every thought to the correct way of spiritual thinking. And so, basically, all of cognitive psychology or cognitive behavioral psychology are addressing um, belief systems and faulty belief systems. And from a secular perspective, they can be faulty beliefs. Um, but really, when you get down to it, it, it's the ungodly beliefs, the beliefs that are inconsistent with God's word, God's nature, God's character. Okay, so psychoanalyze, like, your past life, like, just okay. as an illustration of the ungodly beliefs. Like, how would you say, you know, when you're living the rebellious son version of yourself when okay. you're 20, like, what were some of the ungodly beliefs that needed to be brought captive to Christ? Okay, so... And, and I, I and know you probably again, never again, psychoanalyzed yourself well, no, actually, in the spur of the moment. Okay, good. It's, it's interesting because as a psychologist, you know, you think about things and different theories or ideas or concepts. I could see this piece or that piece, but it was only, it, it, I never really had a way of understanding my life and, and what was driving things, right? Yeah. Until, until rock, Papa Rock introduced me to uh, an orphan's heart. Okay. Okay? And that, for the first time, everything made sense. It all fell into place. I mean, I understood this part of my life this way, um, this part of my life, you know, my early life or early marriage or my kids or whatever, in different kind of components, but they it, it never, there was not anything that was unifying across all of it that made sense of where I was screwing up, what I was doing wrong, uh, the problems I was having, why I was unhappy, why I was dissatisfied, even though things were going great, right? Um, and and it, it, was, it was what opened my eyes and transformed me. So I grew up in a, a family that was a good family. Uh, my dad was a dentist, a uh, very, very bright man, um, Italian by nature. My grandfather came over when he was 13, to America by himself. I think he had 13 cents in his pocket. And oh, wow. He became, became a businessman in New York, and my dad grew up in Brooklyn, and uh, first to go to college, and uh, very bright. He, uh, he chemistry, biology majors, two foreign languages. Um, Harvard accepted him into the dental school before he got his degree finished. He didn't like it, so he went back to Alabama and Volker accepted him into the dental school, um, but made him go back and finish college, but then exempted him from the first year of, of dental school. <laughs> He's a brilliant guy. Yeah, yeah really. Uh, very, very, very bright, very accomplished, right? And so there was there was always a sense of not being good enough. It's like... Yeah, how are you going to measure up to that it, guy? It, it, it was... It was it, 
it wasn't as if there was, it's not that he did things intentionally. It, it more emanated from myself and the lies were being yeah. formed about not being good enough. Or, and, that, and so it was easier to run away and be a screw up. Right. That, and, yeah, and, that's easier and, right, than and, trying and, to and, do and the fail work. A t- fail a test, not study, screw up, um, get involved in, in the drugs were heavy. There were all kinds of things that were going on. And it's like, okay, yeah, things are really of a mess, but I'm really not trying. So you, you calm yourself, right? But in the midst of all that, there was a great deal of shame about not being good enough, not really being acceptable, uh, not really, and, and that that got fabricated in my own mind and in my heart and in my spirit. And so um, those things grew in, into that, that whole orphan lifestyle and this, the striving, uh, you know, to, to be something. This is where all the narcissism, I mean, narcissism basically is an overlay for, for is a way of making yourself feel good. So because if it's not there, then you have to look at all the mess. <laughs> Isn't it crazy and, that like narcissism people usually equate with this is one thing you told me when I was in the chair you, in your mm-hmm. office. You said the problem with so many of these psychological words is people that aren't professionals use them in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so it causes people to not understand what they mean and also causes people that need help, like I did at the time, to not come in for help because the terms have been mislabeled. Right. So you just well, use narcissism yeah. for somebody that doesn't have all their stuff together. Right. Whereas you, we usually think of it as somebody that has a great facade up and puts up this greatest hits highlight reel, but right. you're well, yeah, screwing it, up. Well, it, 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 narcissism is a defense, okay? And, and the, you're talking about the beliefs, the ungodly beliefs, yeah. right? And so you, you do things, right? I, I must be lovable because, you know, I'm with this woman or I'm doing this. I must be, I must be okay because I've got this degree. I must be okay because, you know, I've got a this title with my name or I must be okay because I'm doing this thing. Um, so you use the successes, right? You use your successes. You use the things that uh, are important to you and you build little little testimonies to yourself to make yourself feel good to cover up and hide all those, all the hurt, all the shame, all the things where you, you don't feel good enough about yourself. So at the root, it's a self-focus, I guess. Yeah. I guess. And it could be right. focusing on, oh, I'm okay because I'm not even trying. Right. And, and, and so all those years in the middle of my life, my, my midlife, when uh, when I was sort of the eldest son, you know, things things look really good on the surface, right? I'm married. Um, kids. Got, got a, kids, got a good career. Degrees, all, yeah. All, Doctor. All kinds, and I was... Involved an elder in the church, right? But things just they there's just something missing, and there's the lack of satisfaction. And underneath everything is that you know something go wrong in in the back of your mind. You know those ungodly beliefs would kick in. Well, you're really an imposter. You're really not that good. You really don't deserve this. Or people really don't care about you, right? And th- those are the, the ungodly beliefs. Or they care about you because of what you did, because exactly. you're achieving, because right. you, you're benefiting them. They only care about them. me because I did this or I did that. They couldn't really care about me. And so so there, there's layer upon layer of, of, of ungodly beliefs that, you know, as, uh, as Patty says, you know, you, you get one that gets planted when you're young as a kid, and, and it keeps getting watered by the enemy right. until it grows into 
to this tremendous tree. And, um, and there's a lot of that. So That makes it. That's why I, I remember telling you some of my story, and you, you told me, you said, you know, like, you've been holding crap together for so long that at some point you had to crash. Like, you couldn't just keep... But but now I'm I'm realizing like yeah. you know you knew I mean you had insight in, into me that I think your professional experience gave you as well as the Holy Spirit but also I mean you 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 lived a lot of this like in that uh, like you can't just keep being good and adding layer and layer and holding it all together so finally you get this revelation of the orphan spirit the orphan heart explain yeah, that when. Uh, when when I understood that, when, when we covered that in, in TM and I went through that, uh, there, there was about six, five, six, maybe even seven weeks where I cried like a baby. In class? No, in prayer every morning. Okay. In, in my quiet time, in my prayer. Oh, it's this intimacy. Yeah. It, it was, as God was healing and stripping things off. And what he was doing was bringing into alignment the reality of who I am in Christ. Yeah. Right? And... And that I'm not a wretched sinner, I'm a redeemed sinner. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not whoever, but I'm His beloved Son. I'm cared about. I'm valued. I'm His masterpiece. You know the the identity as you start to realize that you're not alone. Uh, the orphan spirit is uh, to go back to your question is a sense that you're all alone in the world. Right, that there's not going to be anybody there to take care of you. It it can be because of abuse. It could be because of neglect. Those are high frequency things that generate it. Uh, it could be for other reasons. I, I, my life really didn't have abuse, or there was wasn't abuse or rejection or abandonment like you see some very um, uh, difficult situations as you hear people's life stories. But there there was there was a sense in there that I had to do it, right? I had to be good enough, and it, it just grew into that. That, And, and men, I think, are, are prone to this by nature in the culture, that we have to be responsible for everything. Uh, you have to be self-sufficient, that you have to achieve, uh, that no one's going to take care of you but, but yourself. Uh, be careful about how you get into, you know, who you get into relationship with. Guard yourself. And so it, there's a there there are layers to it, but at, at the core of it, you're you're an orphan. You're no one's going to take care of you but you. So you got to take care of yourself, and you you wade into it, and it really alienates you from God, right? Uh, and, right, and and being able to trust and rest in God, and so and that leaves that that sense of dissatisfaction in life and the fears, and right? Because no, even when you're doing well, something can go wrong and you can lose it all. You can make you you have a sense of I've, I've made errors before and screwed up before. What if I screw this up and lose everything? And and so there's a, there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, um, just a lot of difficulties in, in all of that. That just got peeled off. <laughs> oh man, it feels so good. And this was, this was how long ago? This was uh this was uh, last year actually. Oh, this so this is recent. Okay, so you I mean uh, things have been things have been. Well, it's obviously it's a story that's right. been unfolding yeah. for you know decades. Right. The, the understanding the orphan spirit and all of what God did is, is really it was last year. I mean, this is relatively recent to my life. Yeah. Um, 
but it's been remarkable. Hey, so what would you like as we close out? Um, and then I, we didn't even talk about counseling and some of these other things, but I do want to talk about. So we'll get you back on. What What would your wife say is like the biggest change? Like I've 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 never met her. I've never seen her. I wouldn't recognize her if she walked in. But you know the people that have walked sure. with you for a season well, my wife, are going to know uh, you intimately. My wife and I met in high school, so I married my high school sweetheart. Um, so she's seen. Actually, I went to high school with Jan. Um, Jan Cusimano that's yeah. here, kind of right running so, the office. Um, so anyway, and so she's seen every chapter. She did. Good, and bad, so, up, so when down. I was when we were young and. And I was drinking heavy and drugs, and and I was really, I was really not a very good person. Uh, there was a lot of difficulty. We had we we did marital counseling at one point. I thought our marriage was over, and and she, boy, she's got the heart uh, of God and so much grace, so much mercy, so much love. Uh, the thing that I think I don't know what she would say. Yeah, it's just but, conjecture, but because we've been married, we've been together forty-eight years now, married forty-four. Okay, and it is that um, is is that there's true intimacy. There, there's a level of intimacy and genuineness that was was never there, and uh, and, and tenderness. But was it stuff that you didn't that, that you knew was missing, or no? Like it's just all of a sudden you just does that question make sense? Well, like looking yeah. back, you'd go, there, there, oh, yeah. There, there's things that have been missing, and you knew something was wrong. But you like, wouldn't know what. Yeah, but it's one of those things you all of a sudden you kind of become aware. Wow. Over the last four or five years, you know, I could never have imagined our, our marriage would be as good as it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it was bad early on. There were some bad things in it. Uh, most of it was generally good, but... You know, there were things that would happen. Now, you look at it and go, "Wow, this is tremendous." Man, that's great. Like that. Yeah, I had no idea what you're going to say, but I thought that. I mean, that makes complete sense as you learn to trust your heavenly Father more and lean into Him as your supplier. It just makes sense. Like the closest relationships, there would be that same intimacy yep. would start flowing in other directions. Jeez. Okay, so I've I've got to like shut us down because. We're, we're we're flying over time, but uh, I'm, I'm gonna get I'm, I'm gonna get Dr. Jeff Dulce back on, and instead of just hearing some of his story, uh, we'll have him share more of his story, and we'll talk a little bit about counseling and maybe some of the myths of counseling, or maybe define what it is or why you might need it, what, what where it would be helpful, all of those sorts of things. Uh, I'll close out as Rock does every single time, where he just simply says. You were not designed to walk this thing alone, and then he invites you to simply come join the tribe.